Well, good evening or good morning, whatever time of day it is that you're receiving this message. Uh, I'm missing you, brothers and sisters, from Veritas. And greetings also to you from Emmanuel Baptist Church, Riverside Reformed Baptist Church, River Rock Reformed Church, Doxa Reformed Church, Grace Bible Church, everybody who we are in fellowship with and in touch with, and all you other faithful churches who preach the word. Uh, it's kind of a solemn occasion. I'm in this room alone tonight, and I'm not preaching to you, brothers and sisters, and so I have a sadness in my heart. Uh, it seems like our entire city is paralyzed by this virus and the fear of this virus, and others have expressed their sorrow that we're not meeting tomorrow, and they feel quite bad about that, but I, I want to read to you about the kind of fellowship that we do have. Uh, I'm here with Pastor Greg, and so he and I are together in this room, and wherever two or more are gathered in the name of Christ, there the church is, so we are in fellowship. And you, in your families at home, and with your friends, are in fellowship with each other, and that's what the church is. The church isn't this room that we're standing in right now, uh, with so many empty seats. The church is wherever God's people gather together, and so the fellowship is real there. Let me read to you from 1 John right now. 1 John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. So you see, although we're not together in the same room with fellowship, we are in fellowship with the Father, we who have called upon the name of Christ. Well, I'm grateful for the opportunity to preach to you again, and more grateful still to all of you who have not only prayed for me, but who continually pray for all those who come to preach to you. It's a heavy task to preach from the Word of God, but it is with the weight of the power and strength of the Lord that we come to you especially at a church like this where we so carefully, thoughtfully, and prayerfully attend to each other in making sure that the word is brought to you in truth at least as much as a man can do this side of glory and by the grace of God. Speaking of the grace of God, I need to help from his Holy Spirit now in order to get that truth into your minds and hearts in an appropriate manner. So go to the Lord with me now in prayer before I even get started with today's text which is a continuance in my series to you from 1 Peter. I praise you, God, that you made me to be born again. This old rebel against you and against the state, broken down man that I was, I thank you for building me up in Christ. I thank you for causing me to tremble under the weight of your word. And I pray that you will cause me to preach in truth tonight. I pray that the unbeliever would be saved by today's message and that the believer would be properly exhorted and that his or her soul would be properly shepherded. 
In the name of Christ, I come to you. Amen. So a little less than a couple of years ago now, I began to preach to you from the epistle of 1 Peter, an epistle that not only constantly preaches the good news of the gospel for the sake of evangelism, but that also constantly exhorts the brethren as to what they are to do in their sanctification, in their shepherding, if you will, as part of their newfound lives. First, I delivered the word in the opening of the epistle and also from verses 14 to 19, that is 1 Peter 1, 14 to 19, that as exiles here on earth, having recognized heaven as our newfound home, we are to be holy. We are to act in accordance with our belief, with our faith. The epistle next informed us where that newfound faith came from, that we, in fact, had been born again, not of the body, but of the Spirit of God, born again to a living hope due to the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Word says. Not the hope we had before being alive in Christ, where we would hope for some earthly thing, but hope in the living God due to what was already done for us, that is, for we who believe. A hope in new life, that which we've been promised in his word. I went on to preach to you in the next message that we have an inheritance that is given to us by the living God, and that that inheritance, which is also our hope, is that final salvation that is promised to us upon the resurrection of our physical bodies from the grave upon the day that Jesus returns to gather the souls of his own. In that same message, that this inheritance is unlike any earthly inheritance, and that it can't be perverted or destroyed by earthly or natural forces or even by the devil himself. It is rather a heavenly inheritance, protected by God himself, and as such, one that none of those begotten of God could ever lose. I went on to preach to you that all of those who are born again to this new and living hope, bar none, would incur various trials during their existence as a Christian, either physically, emotionally, most certainly spiritually, or all of the above. These trials have been appointed to us. They are the very thing that purifies us, the thing that draws out from us or produces in us our Christian character, that which tests the genuineness of our faith. That same message expressed that because we have hope in our final salvation, we can rejoice even during times of great trial, even if that trial is accompanied by severe physical discomfort. In my most recent message to you from First Peter, my Advent message, the outcome was to show you once again that we are to set our hope fully on God. So we started with hope, and we returned to hope. We set our hope fully on God and on the grace that was to be revealed to us at the final revelation of Jesus Christ upon our resurrection. In today's message, that is from 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verses 22 to 25, which are the final verses in this chapter, I really want to ask and answer the following questions. Number one, what does Peter mean when he says, by your obedience to the truth? In verse 22, 
What does Peter mean when he says, by your obedience to the truth, in verse 22? Number two, what is the main command or commandment, if you will, from God to the born-again heart? What is the main command from God to the born-again heart? And three, by what means does God go about regenerating the heart of the Christian? So let me read the text, and then we'll expose it so we can answer our questions. Hopefully you're open in your Bibles to 1 Peter 1, 22 to 25. Why don't you go ahead and do that now if you're not already there? So again, 1 Peter 1, 22 to 25 says this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So there we have it. That's our text for today. And let's go ahead and get a better understanding. Uh, beginning with just the first small phrase, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And let's stop right there. So I assume that in a church like this, that most know that we cannot purify our own souls. But for the sake of those who don't study the word daily and for the unbeliever, let's talk about that. Peter here is referring to those who've been born again when referring to those who have purified their souls. Most of us know, but for those who don't, that no fallen or sinful human being can cause themselves to be born again or to become Christian. This has to be done by our great God through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, as was preached to you from earlier in this epistle, and through our subsequent belief in these facts of the gospel. A different translation of this verse, which is more revealing of the fact that we cannot make ourselves be born again, might be the New King James Version, which reads, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, for a sincere brotherly love. Again, that's 1 Peter 1.22. This translation, to me, speaks of being purified or born again through or by the Holy Spirit of God and not by our own selves. And remember, the Holy Spirit is the promised presence of Jesus, as Pastor Eric has been preaching to us week in and week out. So it's the Holy Spirit of God that regenerates the soul. The man has no part in this. If left to ourselves, we would remain sinful, dead in our trespasses and sins, the scripture calls us, unable to save ourselves, unable to even accept Christ until a transformation has been made by the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's read on, and in doing so, let's answer my first question. And this is my first question. I want to remind you, what does Peter mean when he says, by your obedience to the truth? Well, in accordance with the text of the entire Bible and its teachings, and also in keeping with all of the great commentators, obedience to the truth here is referring to belief. That is, our belief in the gospel truths. 
or to our faith, our faith, which is instilled upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God in the moment that we first believed. The moment which our hearts were regenerated. I'd like to read to you from Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, if you'll turn there now in your Bibles. This is Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Goes on in verse 10 to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That one always blows me away. That even our good works were prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. So I'd like to read on here. The same kind of language is used in other scriptures which help in defining this meaning. In Romans 10:16, which reads, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? The scripture here is used in the same way in referring to those who have not believed the gospel and have not had their hearts been made to be born again. Or in 1 Peter 4.17, which reads, For it's time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Here again, the scripture is referring to those who will not believe the gospel, or if we want to reword it to fit today's text, who will not be in obedience to the truth. So there lies the, the answer to question number one. You could say it this way, that our reaction to the preaching of the gospel for those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ is our belief. And therefore, we are being obedient to God by believing his truth. The catch is, even our obedience is being caused by God, as I and many others have preached to you here. And there's a Roman, uh, excuse me, a message in Romans 10, 17 that I preached earlier, a couple of years ago actually, and in 1 Peter 1, 3, that highlight that very subject. So in summary of what we just read, our souls have been purified by our believing in the gospel message, a belief which has been instilled upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God when he regenerated us, when he caused us to be born again. Let's move on to the next phrase. And this will answer question two, which is, what is the main command from God to the born again heart? Again, that's the question we're asking of ourselves. What's the main command from God to the born-again heart? And the answer is in the next scripture. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Let me put that together now with the phrase from before so that it makes sense in answering the questions. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And there it is 
our answer to question number two. We've had our souls purified by God when he made us to be born again with a built-in desire to love. It is, in fact, the main desire of the heart of the Christian. It is the main duty or purpose of the heart that is to be lived out by action in our new life in Christ. One could also say of the scripture, we have been born again through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ unto love or with love as our end result. I don't think you can take this scripture any other way. But let me set out to prove it now for you. I'm going to quote quite a few scriptures, but I think it's really important after making such a bold statement. First from the book of Matthew, chapter 22 and verses 37 to 40. When the keepers of the law were gathered together around Jesus and in trying to trip him up by asking him what the greatest commandment of God to the people was, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. That is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, that example is all encompassing to me. We, we're to love God first and above all things. Then as a result of that, we're to love everyone with whom we meet or have a relationship with, even as we love our own selves. Still here are more scriptures to prove my point. In the book of John, chapter 13, and beginning with verse 34, and on the night before his execution, he said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, end quote. Now, for the, the Christian who understands the difference between the Old Testament version of keeping God's commandments and the new, we understand that in the new covenant, we have this law that we are to love written on our hearts. It's planted inside. It's planted in us spiritually, and it, it should manifest itself as a desire to love, that is, to care for others as we care for ourselves. Pastor Eric has just finished in the previous weeks giving us a complete discourse on love from the book of 1 Corinthians, and I'd encourage you to revisit those sermons concerning love after hearing this message today. But I'd like to take the time to develop a couple more points concerning today's scripture message. So, born again unto love. Just to make a, a brief illustration in my own life, I have a memory and it is my conversion memory. And my conversion memory was one that I, I do remember being born again and unto love. Sitting in a church, a small church, many, many years ago, and courting my beautiful wife and thinking to myself, I'll go to her church. That'll win her over. And in my mind's eye, that's what I was there for. I had been a debauched human being for 13 years from the time of being a young boy. And in the very, very end, I, it came to me that my, my main sin was self-idolatry, although I committed many, many sins 
as everyone does before they become born again. And I remember the associate pastor's wife at the time standing up in the room and speaking out loud about a neighbor who had just passed away. It was at Christmas time, and the neighbor was the father of, of a family of five and left behind a wife. And with no way for her to even get into the checking account, she had become suddenly destitute. Well, I had been this cold-hearted human being for 13 years and most certainly self-serving in every way. And I remember she saying, perhaps the pastor can pray and we can take up an offering. And the pastor saying, no, the pastor's not going to pray open up your pocketbooks. And then he released two lines of scripture from his mouth, just two. He said, my Bible says, love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Open up your pocketbooks. And I remember at that moment that everything changed inside my heart. I didn't really know what it meant to be born again. I didn't really think of this memory until just a couple of years ago. I always thought of my transformation as having been something that I did to myself. I quit this and I quit that, and now I was gonna be this honest man, and I was gonna commit myself to this young, beautiful woman, and I was gonna become a good person. But in that moment, I felt true and abiding love. And I have thought of that moment as the moment I became born again. And now after reading these scriptures and studying, born again unto love. Here's a question I haven't asked. What kind of love are we to have for one another? What kind of love are we to have for one another? Again, the scripture not only answers my question, but it comes with a command. The answer is a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The scripture says that we're to have a sincere love, an earnest love. This would be a true love or desire to care for others, not a fake love. This would be a sacrificial love, or as Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it, this is not a love where you do an occasional favor for someone every once in a while. The Christian life is a life of sacrifice, a life of sacrificial love. It's a love that requires sacrifice of your time, of your familial resources, of your affection where there has been none before. That's what kind of love we're born again unto, a love that you would not have done on your own when you were in rebellion against God, a love that can only come when the Holy Spirit reaches inside your heart and he transforms you into this new, born-again individual, a new creation in Christ, the Word says. My best example of love would be that of the Christ. From the book of John, chapter 13 and verse 15, which states, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This from the mouth of Jesus in referring to and prophesying about the death he was about to experience for the sake of the sins of the whole world. 
if this example of love goes even unto your own death in place of that of a friend or even a friend's soul, how much more should we, having been purified by God, as the scripture says, give up at least our own comforts in order to meet the needs of a brother or sister in Christ or even that of an unbelieving neighbor? Speaking of that, are we also to love our unbelieving neighbors, even sacrificially? So, let's say you have a neighbor as I do. I have neighbors whom I love. I have neighbors that are my friends. I have neighbors that, on each side of me and in back of me, that when someone's gone, we look out for the other one's property. Uh, some of them have keys to my home. I have keys to theirs. Uh, we, we watch each other's back, and they know that I'm a believer in Christ, and most know that I am a preaching pastor. And they don't go for that. They're not believers yet. But I call them my friends. So there's a neighbor that I call a friend. But the Bible speaks of loving even your enemies, and how much more your friendly neighbors Let's read from the book of Luke, chapter 6, from the Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And it also says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And sinners here is not referring to all of mankind, it's referring to the unsaved. It goes on to say, And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. The Apostle Paul had to correct an entire church in the book of 1 Corinthians, telling them that love should be the outpouring or the outcome of their faith instead of trying to outdo one another in knowledge and in the practice of spiritual gifts. And in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 5, he tells the church, that is, Paul tells the church, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So here he's using the same kind of language that we're using right here in 1 Peter. A pure and sincere love is the main objective of the church today as it was then, 2,000 years ago. If we don't love our neighbors, who will listen when we try to save them with the gospel message in the way that God saves us. Speaking of that very subject, and in answering my third question, or fourth, I guess, today, and this is the question, by what means does God go about regenerating the heart of the Christian? Let me repeat that question. By what means does God go about regenerating the heart of the Christian? This is part of today's text, so much so that when Charles Spurgeon preached on it, he left the subject of love kind of in the background. 
but it's built in. So again, by what means does God go about regenerating the heart of the Christian? Once again, and as always, the scripture answers the question. 1 Peter 1, verses 23 to 25, the final verses of the chapter says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through, that is by the means of, the living and abiding word of God. And then he cites the prophet Isaiah by adding, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Scripture answers the question by telling us that the way God saves the lost ever since the death and resurrection of Jesus is by having the words of the truth of the gospel of salvation preached in accordance with the scriptures, and by having that preached message fall upon the ears of the pre-chosen unbeliever, and that on any given day, the Holy Spirit of God activates that word unto the heart of that would-be believer and causes them to have saving faith. He causes them to have a new heart. He causes them to be born again to a new and living hope, supernaturally. He saves his or her soul forever. He does it by delivering the living and abiding word of God. God also creates a picture here. He compares the seed of a woman, that is every man, excuse me, every man born to mankind. He calls it a corruptible seed. And he compares it to a seed that's incorruptible. Corruptible seed, what does that mean? It means that man is corruptible. He has been ever since the fall, ever since the garden. He is the seed that can be perverted. He's the seed that can be destroyed. He's the seed that was born to die. And God compares that corruptible seed to a seed which is incorruptible, here referring to the word of God. He compares man's flesh to grass and flowers, which for a while blossom, in many cases exhibit beautiful color, youth, strength, and then are blown away or burned up by heat, drowned by floods. The word of God is holy and pure. It cannot die. It will not wither, nor ever fail the believer, for it is the living, holy, pure, life-giving, soul-saving word of God, and it comes with power, universe-creating power, world-destroying power. So fear it. Fear him. Believe it. Love him and be saved. I'd like to read to you from Romans 10 today, the steps by which most believers are saved today. Some are saved miraculously, and that's a subject for another day. But this is the means by which God writes his life-giving word of truth onto the believer's heart. Here it is from the word of God in Romans 10. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, 
the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Now here they are the steps. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? That is, as it is written, that is in Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then finally it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So our message today is saying, you can't be saved and not have love in your heart. Love for God as well as love for your fellow man, beginning with the brethren, and that you cannot love, not truly love, unless you are saved, unless you are born again. Let me repeat that. You can't be saved and not have love in your heart. Love for God as well as your fellow man, beginning with the brethren, and you cannot love, not truly love, unless you are born again. There are many examples of love. This is a time of darkness. Our nation seems paralyzed by fear over a disease. I have an example for you of what love is not. And several of the brothers were called in sin this week. Love is not making fun of the fear of your fellow man over a virus. This is not about that virus. This is not a topical sermon. But we are called to love our fellow man, even our enemies. Who will listen? Who will listen to us when we go to share the gospel? if we make fun of the fear of our fellow man. I'm calling me out on it, and I'm calling you out on it, brethren. In conclusion, what do you say, brethren? Will you love one another? If you will not, indeed say you cannot, saying to yourself and others in the church, but you don't understand the brother or perhaps the neighbor has done this or that to me, and I just cannot forgive he or she. For that particular thing. I'm sure you understand, brother, do you not? And I will say to you, no, I do not. And beware that your soul may be in danger yet. And if that's you, talk to one of the pastors here at the church that we might set you straight. And what of we who simply cannot or will not make time to love our fellow man? Are we not also in danger? Not of losing our salvation, for it simply cannot be done, but rather of never having, having, excuse me, having had it to begin with, or at very least of having those things said about us, for they do not have love. For the Lord Jesus has said in the book of Matthew chapter 25 and beginning in verse 31, and this is a long quote, so bear with me. 
when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick? Or in prison and did not minister to you, then he will answer to them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. If you're attending our church for the first time, or for just a couple of months now, you should know that especially for such a small congregation, we have many saints here who love sacrificially. And I'm deeply glad to call you brothers and sisters. For the rest of us, heed the word. Love one another. And what of you, unbeliever? I know you're here. The word says so. Have you been converted today or some other day as the message was preached and has have as of yet to speak to it about another believer so they can guide you? Turn to Christ. Turn today and be saved. If you don't know if you've been saved or think you might have been after hearing such a message, come up to one of the pastors at Veritas. Give us a call on the telephone. Contact us on the internet. We'd love to speak to you and guide you as to what to do next. I'm going to pray over your brothers and sisters. Father God, we pray that those who are lost have been saved by the word today. We pray that those who know you have been properly guided. Guide their hearts, O oh God, through your Holy Spirit. Cause us to love our neighbors as our own selves. Cause us to love you above all things and to give your name glory with honor. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every way 
and every good work and word. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Good night.